Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy, Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. What's going down? Hey everybody, welcome to a brand new episode of What's Going Down here, wherever you get your podcasts. My name is Kenny, joined as always by Mr. Finley Martin and Finn. The rain has hit Glasgow, so it's not a sunny disposition weather-wise. How's how's it going where you are? Yeah, pretty grey here, pretty grey day, but um, you know what can you say, the reservoirs need the water. They do, they need the... We need the water on to prevent wildfires. You know, we just need it. The this plants it. need it. The insects need it. We need it. It's all good. Yes, and but it's not a. It's not a. We, we still have a sunny disposition with wrestling because there's loads going on. Uh, we will be talking about Raw on Thursday, along with kind of Money in the Bank preview. We do Power Slam, but today we're going to concentrate on SmackDown and Forbidden Door. So let's dive into SmackDown, Finn. I guess um, we didn't have Roman Reigns on the show this week, but we did have the Usos sort of give their explanation as to why they feel how they feel, what's going to happen at the Bloodline Civil War at Money in the Bank. Um, and that would then lead us to, um, in the main event, Solo Sokoa taking on Sheamus. And afterwards, the Usos came out to uh, double superkick Solo and put him down, hit with an Usos, double Uso splash um, to just kind of keep things tidying along while Roman was away. How do you think that the Usos did this week with the follow-up as their explanation? I mean, it felt, it felt like a, a bit of a low-key promo from um, Jimmy and Jay. And it actually felt like a bit of a B episode of the program. And nevertheless, it still did very well in the uh, viewing figures. 2.354 million viewers tuned into SmackDown Friday night in the States. So, I mean, it was it actually did well. It just shows the power of the Bloodline storyline, I think, because it was really kind of a bit of a... I mean, it was an okay show, but it wasn't a blockbuster episode of SmackDown by any means. No. And um, I mean, if someone were to say, do I need to see SmackDown? I would say, well, no, not really. You don't really need to watch this show. There was nothing on this that was essential viewing. And yet it still did pretty well in in the viewing figures. So yeah, Jimmy and Jay, you know, said they've been in the trenches with Roman, you know, but then there'd been this loss of respect and that became a problem. Um, although it did feel like they were trying to, you know, put all the heat on Paul Heyman, saying that, yeah, we can forgive family. 
but we can't forgive this guy who's on the outside. He's a snake. So they could never forgive him. So it seems when this whole thing ends, it'll be Haman who's blamed, you know, because we know there's going to be a reconciliation one day. Who knows when that might be? Next year, probably. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll have to wait and see. But Haman was definitely, he was getting the daggers. He was getting the blame for everything, wasn't he, basically? Yeah, he was basically the kind of the scapegoat that was being used. Um, because, you know, in theory, I mean, Roman Reigns really is the guy calling the shots. But, you know, the Usos, that he, Roman's their family. They don't want to think think badly of him. So they, they're making Haman the real scapegoat here in the situation. Um, exactly. Well, he's a convenient enemy, isn't he? You know, so we can just blame it all. I mean, let's, it's like in life, we often find people to blame for our woes or things <laughs> that go wrong who may not actually be responsible for the things that have gone wrong. But, you know, because we don't like them instinctively, we just want to, you know, put all the heat on them. So that's what we do as human beings. Yeah. So, um, but I mean, yeah, I, I, I'm with you. It was kind of, it was a bit of a B episode in terms of the storytelling with the bloodline. But I mean, I guess you can't really have every week be blockbuster stuff. So um, I, I don't think it's going to hurt the story by it kind of it happening that way. Um, oh, no, I, no, definitely not. I mean, you can't rush it. I mean, it needs to take its time. And I mean, look, we, last week was mega. So yeah. this week needed to sort of calm down a bit. And then we know this Friday SmackDown is going to be huge because Roman Reigns is going to be there. And they're going to, I think they're going to go all out on Friday to really deliver a mega SmackDown because obviously it's money in the bank the next day. We've got the big Asuka Charlotte match on that show this Friday. But um, I mean, we should mention, um, because it kind of came out after we'd recorded Power Slam. I know it's a bit late now, but I think it's worth mentioning. Obviously, there was reports that Vince McMahon had made uh, a lot of changes to SmackDown. Um, One of which was the advertised match with Bailey and Shotzi for the spot in Money in the Bank in London. Now, I I don't want to be a hypocrite here, so I'm not going to sit and say that I endorse Vince McMahon making last-minute changes. But if Vince McMahon's last-minute change is going to stop Shotzi from being in Money in the Bank, then I okay that change. Yeah. I will I will, I will deal with that change. Um, but, I mean, all joking aside, it, it isn't great when you've got a match advertised and it's all been built. You know, Bailey's doing local media for the show and all that, and you, you just kind of scrap it at the last minute and replace it with Charlotte and Lacey Evans. So... I mean, that wasn't ideal, but I guess, you know, hopefully Triple H and Nick Cannon and Cole can kind of, you know, in in whatever way they can massage Vince to try and convince him not to, you know, pull advertised stuff. Because that's the thing that used to happen a lot before. Yeah, it did. I mean, the thing is, it's like false advertising was something that people used to really complain about, you know, 20, 25 years ago. It seems to be tolerated a lot more now, and I don't think it happens quite as much as it used to. Um, And I'm not quite sure why Vince did that, because they could have just done a Charlotte Flair-Asuka angle backstage in which Asuka attacked Charlotte Flair, and then Bianca said what she said, um, and at the same time delivered Bailey versus Shotzi. I mean, it wouldn't have been a long match. It would have been two and a half minutes tops. So I'm not quite sure why that was cancelled. Um, I don't think that many people were upset about it outside of probably Shotzi's household. Um, (laughs) Really, Uh, because, I mean, I think we knew that Bailey was going to win. And yeah, I mean, yeah, I endorsed the decision to cancel the match in a sense, but not in another sense, because it had been advertised and there was a stipulation at stake. So to me, it was, yeah, I didn't really want to see the match, but I think they should have still delivered what they'd promoted and advertised in advance. Yeah, I agree. Um, well, let's talk about the other stuff on SmackDown that happened. Um, we did have the match for the unification of the WWE Women's Tag Team and NXT Women's Tag Team titles with Ronda Rousey and Shayna Baszler against Isla Dawn and Alba Fire. I mean, I, I was I was enthused by the fact that Alba Fire and Isla Dawn were not jobbed out here and were made to feel like... Uh, you know, were they contenders to, to Ronda and Shayna? So I was happy to see that part of it. I don't think it was a shock who was going to win. But, uh, you know, we've dragged Ronda Rousey over hot coals on this podcast, Finn, about her lack of enthusiasm, about our lack of enthusiasm for her storylines. Uh, what did you make of uh, them winning the, the or unifying the titles here? 
I mean, to me, Ronda Rousey and Shayna, they need to be collectively known as either the heat killers or the mood wreckers, because <laughs> that's what they do to the audience. And that's what they do to me when they appear each time. And Shayna, I used to make a lot of excuses for her and she just seems so sluggish. Everything she does is kind of half speed and it's like she lacks confidence. And I don't know why, because she'd been doing this for a long time now. She's teaming with a pal. They're receiving. She's receiving the biggest push yet on the main roster. She should be overflowing with confidence. You know, she should be out there beaming. Yeah, the company's behind me at last. You know, they can't bury me because I'm teaming with this woman that they're paying all this money to. Um, I just felt like the match should have lasted longer. Um, there was a little sort of burst at the end where Alba Fire basically took control. And it looked like it was turning into a match to remember. And then it just ended with a double submission. So I do sort of disagree with you there, Kenny. I thought Fire and Dawn were treated pretty woefully here. Um, I thought I mean, they, they got, they got, they got 10 minutes. They, they got 10 minutes in there with them. It wasn't a, a, a complete job out. I well, mean, it wasn't. It wasn't. But I mean, and then what happened? Then what happened right afterwards? We got Raquel Rodriguez at ringside watching, and they immediately turned the page from Fire and Dawn onto Rodriguez and Liv Morgan. And isn't that embarrassing? They thought Liv Morgan was going to be sidelined for months and she's back already. How upsetting. Well, actually, it's really good for her, <laughs> but it's upsetting for me because I wrote something in the magazine saying, oh, she's going to be out for ages and she's back. Actually, you know, that's me being really selfish. It's obviously great that Liv's back. I'm glad she's, she was. Good, good reaction from the crowd. And by the way, I'm just, just, just to clarify, Finn, I was just trying to say something that wasn't me burying Ronda Rousey that I tend to do every week on this podcast. I was trying yeah, but I mean, yeah, the match you've got to base it on merit, haven't you? And the thing is, you know, Fire and Dawn, it seems like they're already out of the picture. I hope they're not. I hope we have them challenging Raquel and Liv next week and say, listen, you know, you've got to beat us before we, sh- you know, we should receive the first shot of the titles. You know, not you. So I'm hoping we're going to get a match between Fire and Dawn and Raquel and Liv Morgan, which actually could be pretty good. Um, now, I'm just checking this because I don't want to... I don't want to upset you unnecessarily, but let me just double check because I think, yeah, uh, it's already been, annou- been announced on WB's Twitter that Money in the Bank, Ronda, Rousey and Shayna Baszler will be defending the tag titles against Liv Morgan and Raquel Rodriguez. Right, okay. So, we're, oh, we're... I mean, you know, that's dis- disrespectable, disrespectful to Fire and Dawn. So yeah, I mean, I, I'm I, I am with you on Shayna though because Shayna is someone who I for a, a long time have really been been kind of championing, and you know even when she was in the team of Nia Jax, I was like, you know, she, well, it's Nia, it's the one that's not bringing it, and it's like, I mean, Shayna's still not bringing it, and she's in a team with Ronda. I mean, yeah. Ronda's a charisma vacuum at the moment, but you know, Shayna should be bringing her own because I mean, cause the promo afterwards was a bit messy because Raquel's there doing a stupid smile that she always does. And she says, we never lost the titles. And then Shayna and Ronda doing this whole bit where they're like, who's we? Well, you know who we is. She lost, she, her and Liv were the tag champs. It was pretty obvious who she means. So then, but Ronda yeah. and Shayna just look like idiots going, who's we? And of course, Liv's music hits. So they get the pop, but yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, if if Ronda Rousey and Shayna Baszler go down to NXT and have some matches, is that something you, you think would be beneficial to them? Yeah, well, well, it, I mean, it would be if the matches are laid out well. And um, and I think they would be down there. There'd be more enthusiasm for Rousey and Baszler because they are big names, even though they're not very good in the ring anymore. They are big names, so they would provoke a response in NXT. But, I mean, if you watch this match, there's a spot where Dawn is on the top rope and Baszler has to shove Dawn off the top rope to the floor. And Baszler did it so half-heartedly. You know, it's such a weak shove. And it just sort of typified her performance. She just sort of, she just doesn't feel like she's got an enthusiasm for it anymore. It's like she's going through the motions. So... Uh, yeah, I feel for Dawn and Fire. I hope there's still, you know, a future for them on the main roster since they've only just arrived. Uh, I hope they can come back from this. We'll see. I mean, I thought they really tried here. You know, the XNXTers. <laughs> I thought they really tried to make this into a watchable match. 
And we've seen worse from Rousey and Baszler. Um, and I wouldn't say I was expecting more from this because I, I now know what to expect from Rousey and Baszler. I've managed my expectations accordingly. And that's how you get through a lot of parts. That's how you get through a lot of parts of wrestling. It's actually how you get through a lot of parts of life as well, I've learned. Um, so hopefully Fire and Dawn, you know, their day will come. Yeah. Uh, well, elsewhere on SmackDown, we did have LA Knight uh, getting a victory over Rey Mysterio on the show. I mean, they're still... He's still a heel, but the fans love him. I mean, do you get the sense that, I mean, it was a good, at least Ellie Knight's getting a win here, because, you know, it was only five weeks ago he was losing to Xavier Woods. But, you know, he's beating Rey Mysterio. Do you get the vibe that WWE are going to turn him babyface, or is this one of those, they see him as a heel, therefore that's what he's going to be presented as? I mean, I don't know. I mean, if he doesn't win in Money money in the Bank, I think a lot of people are going to be very upset if it's Logan Paul he leaves with a briefcase I think there's going to be a probably not a mass walkout but people are going to be really upset it feels like they've built him up to the point now where we can trust WWE to do the right thing with Knight I mean what was very what was very noticeable to me about this match Knight scored the win with blunt force trauma which was great but it fell apart really badly before the finish and this seldom happens in Rey Mysterio matches. Will Knight get the blame for that? That is a possibility. So I was very fearful when the match went to pieces. And even though Knight scored the pin, it's like Rey's such a reliable, dependable guy. And his matches just don't fall apart. And yet this one did. Um, but yeah, I mean, to me, Knight, if he doesn't win money in the bank, May perhaps at that point they'll turn in babyface and that will counteract or counterbalance some of the disappointment of him not winning money in the bank. So they've got that in the back pocket to use. You know, they've got that in reserve. So maybe that'll save him. Um, but yeah, I, I want to believe that Knight's going to win and I want to believe Knight's going to do well because I think, he, I think he deserves it. But we'll have to wait and see, you know, Logan Paul's in the match and maybe Logan Paul's only agreed to participate in Money in the Bank, um, you know, under on condition that he wins. It, it wouldn't be the first time someone has um, used their... Spare muscles. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the one other thing I wanted to bring up from SmackDown was uh, Charlotte, uh, Charlotte, Charlotte Evans. Charlotte defeated Lacey Evans and then Asuka obviously attacked her afterwards, but we found out backstage from Adam Pearce when he spoke to Bianca Belair she was barred from ringside next week in the Asuka and Charlotte match. The risk is too high for one of them to try and bait Bianca into getting physical. Um, he said she should trust him, that she would get a shot at the winner. And Bianca said, you know, trust you like I trusted you last time when she got bumped from the line. So she shook her head no and walked away, which is kind of a good hook of is Bianca going to play ball and stay away or is she not? I think that's a really good sort of cliffhanger for the match next week. I think we can fair I think we can safely say that Bianca will be involved yes. on some level. Um I don't believe there's going to be a finish to the Asuka Charlotte Flair match as in a pin or submission. Um and if there is Bianca will be involved, Bianca will cause the defeat. Um so yeah Bianca I think you know she's Showing pride, she's showing dignity, she's showing a spine, she's showing that she's not going to be pushed around by Adam Pierce anymore. She's, you know, mad as hell and she's not going to take it anymore to reference that amazing movie from the mid-70s. Mm-hmm. Probably no one listening to this podcast has even seen Network. If you haven't seen it, watch it. It's actually an amazing, amazing movie, just all about ratings. And when you know, when you actually are bothered about ratings, you watch that film, you're like, yeah. Well, I understand now why these people are so concerned about ratings because covering wrestling, ratings obviously matter. Uh, but yeah, Bianca's going to be involved this Friday. And, um, you know, I'm, 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 I'm actually, for the first time in a very long time, I'm interested to see what Bianca Belair is going to do next. And I really hope they do the heel turn with her because I think it's time. We'll see if she can pull it off. I think she might be able to. Um and um, maybe she can become champ again as a heel. It's going to be a different character for her. I think the babyface version of her character has gone as far as it can. And I think the time now is for her to do something completely different. So I'm hoping that's going to, you know, that storyline is going to progress this Friday. 
Uh, well, let's move on to AEW presents Forbidden Door on Sunday. Uh, oh, so- can I just quickly just mention, sorry, can I just sure. mention the Gresson Waller effect? Yeah, yeah, pretty, pretty deadly. deadly. Yeah. Yeah, wasn't a good uh, appearance for Grayson and pretty deadly had a rough night as well. They were out there too long and the audience were not reacting. Um, and, you know, I was so relieved when uh, Street Profits came out to basically save the day and that then led to a match that deadly won. Um, but yeah, I'm hoping that Grayson Waller, because he's guest on Grayson Waller Effect this Friday, is Logan Paul. I'm hoping he's going to have a good night there because Grayson Waller is struggling, Kenny. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Yes, yeah. Yeah, I think he's just, he's getting, he's getting outshined by guests, whether they're good or bad, which is a strange dynamic to be in. I mean... Because at the moment he doesn't really seem like a wrestler. He just kind of seems like a. Like he kind of seems like what the Miz was when the Miz was had started on SmackDown, and he was kind of doing that hosting thing for Tough Enough for, yeah. or for the Diva Search, whatever it was. Um, yeah. yeah, not not a great night for for old Grayson. Uh, no. Right, okay, so Forbidden Door. Um, let's talk about some of the big matches from Forbidden Door that took place on Sunday. Uh, they'd set up on Dynamite last week. Oh, no, in Collision, sorry. They set up in Collision that um, Tanahashi and uh, MGF would open the show with MGF saying, that, you know, the, the only way he's agreed to turn up is if he opens the show. So we get Tanahashi and MGF who opened the event for the AEW World title. They went about 15 minutes. Um, Tanahashi also wrestled the night before in Collision against Swerve Strickland. So, Finn, I wanted to ask you because I'm, I've seen some Tanahashi stuff. I obviously see, I've seen his match with Jericho at Wrestle Kingdom in 2020. I think I've seen a couple of his matches and I do not remember him being anywhere near as banged up as he is. I mean, this was, to me, was a tough watch because he couldn't do a lot um, in the match on Saturday or the match on Sunday. What did you think of, was it a wise choice to have this open the show given Tanahashi's limitations? No, I don't think so. I think Tanahashi now should be booked exclusively in tag or six-man matches. I mean, he... He used to always be in amazing shape. Um, he kind of looks a little bit out of shape. He was really struggling with the turnbuckles when he was climbing to the top rope to do his you know, high fly flow and his other top rope stuff. And uh, MGF was having to wait for ages uh, while he climbed up. And uh, yeah, it looks to me like he needs a rest. And uh, I think he was out there too long with MGF. It was sort of strange as well that MGF, the world champion, was in the only match. I thought it made him look kind of second match instead of the top guy. So I don't think this match really flattered either. No, um, I mean, I mean you, you can't, and it's it's weird to imagine because when I saw Tanahashi on Saturday, I was thinking, I, I'm I was sure he was in better shape than 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 he was in the match. And I mean, the other thing, he's going to go into the G one soon. Yeah, I, I mean, how big, big ass, big expectations. I mean, maybe these matches will be short because he's obviously not the top guy anymore. He was for many years. You know, he was, we had him number one in the PS15. Is it 2012? I think it was. I think he was number two in 2013. I mean, he was a guy that we featured all the time in the magazine. He was for a while, to me, the best wrestler in the world. Um, and no one stays at the top forever. And um, it's. You can see he's trying, but I mean, mm-hmm. it was he, he's he's been through a hell of a lot. I mean, there's a lot of miles on the body clock. It's that simple. And um, I think MGF, in a sense, was a good opponent for him because MGF did 
you know, a lot of crowd working stuff. He did the walkout gimmick. There was all the crowd baiting. So there wasn't that much of a demand for Tanahashi to perform physically. So he could just, you know, react um, and interact with MGF's heel work. Yeah. Um, but still, strange to see MGF in the in the opening match when he's the world champion. Very yeah. strange. Uh, two things that I'd said to Son, uh, I'd said, uh, I think when, when I was talking to Robert on Patreon, but it was just something that I, it occurred to me on Saturday at Collision. And I think it kind of, Sunday made me just kind of confirm it. I mean, you look at somebody like Sheamus in WWE. Sheamus, I think, is like six months younger than Tanahashi is. But Tanahashi's done so much more hard-hitting wrestling in his career that it's just a different ball game. You know, he's 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 got to go out, he's over his career had to go out there and have really strong style matches rather than yeah. something like Sheamus. So obviously he's battered. He kind of reminds me, it's not the same thing, but he kind of reminds me a little bit of The Undertaker at the end where people were kind of going, he's just not got it anymore. Like he's yeah. just not got, you know, because The Undertaker in his early 40s was doing some of the best stuff of his career. And by the end, it was just kind of, you know, punch, kick, punch. Kick. He just couldn't seem to get a second gear. And that's what it seemed like with Tanahashi to me. Yeah. I mean, I thought the ending as well was weak with MGF. He won after a, you know, dynamite diamond ring shot. It just yeah. felt like a, you know, second match heel finish. And I felt felt kind of disrespectful to Tanahashi, really. Sort of this American style sort of, I mean, I know they were obviously well, they weren't in America. They were in Canada. They were in Toronto. <laughs> Toronto. But I mean, you know what I mean? Like an American yeah. style finish to the match. And um, yeah, it was, yeah, strange start to the show, really. That's what, that was my uh, reaction yeah. to it. And I guess, you know, part, maybe part of the week finish is just that Tanahashi really couldn't do anything. Like he yeah. just couldn't. I mean, I I I don't know his moveset well enough to know what what his you know his finisher is or, or his his different finishing sequences would be. But he didn't seem like. He, and you're right when he was going up to the top rope, it was just like this guy cannot. Yeah, he can't do that. Um, the next I mean, match, they were, co- they were trying to cover on commentary by saying it's different turnbuckles, and I thought that was actually pretty. Uh, Respect. I thought they did a really good job making excuses for him there, but it's like, hold on a second. And like, why was Tanahashi, why did Tanahashi wrestle the previous evening in a in a really pointless match with Swerve Strickland? He should just be used sparingly. And, you know, just feature him, you know, in a six-man, so he only has to wrestle for a few minutes rather than for 15. Uh, well, so CM Punk's first singles match back was against Satoshi Kojima in the, op- the first round of the Owen Hart Cup tournament. Toronto, we're not fans of CM Punk on this no. evening and he uh, he played up to that. He uh, he actually the night before on Collision after he'd been booed in the main event of the eight man tag off air um, took the microphone and said you know I accept this loss from my team uh, you know I, I, I need to take responsibility for it but I'm going to try hard to eventually win something just like your Toronto Maple Leafs you know everybody's booing he's laughing so, you know, he seemed to be kind of having fun with it. But um, what did you make of the match with him and Kojima? He goes over 13 and a half minutes um, and advances to, we we assume, to face Samoa Joe, who will probably beat Roderick Strong ne- this weekend. Yes. Class. Yes, the invisible man, Roderick Strong. It's a rare <laughs> appearance on TV, presumably, to put Samoa Joe over. Um, yeah, I thought Punk did really well here, um, playing heel. And at one point, you know, he did the Hogan ear cup and then like a leg drop um, and uh, I thought this was very sympathetically booked because Kojima's obviously been doing this a long time over 30 years I think and he's a veteran just like Tanahashi so there was a lot of rest spots in this he wasn't required to do too much um, and uh, yeah I mean Punk won with the GTS I mean I thought the match was okay, okay all things considered I mean actually really quite entertaining with Punk healing it up, you know, in response to how the uh, crowd were reacting to him. And, um, yeah, Kojima still looks in good shape physically. I mean, he's obviously been doing this a very long time, and he's just like Tanahashi. You know, there's, uh, you know, he's done a lot of miles in the ring. (laughs) uh, He's had a lot of ring time. But, I mean, I thought, yeah, I thought it was okay. I thought it was, I thought, in fact, I thought this was good. I really enjoyed it. Um, so we're not going to cover all the matches just because of time, but I did want to touch on Sanada obviously defeated Jungle Boy, as everyone assumed he would. But the big story was the post-match heel turn from Jack Perry on Hook, um, which I thought was actually sold 
really well by Taz on commentary afterwards. But um, this was this felt at the time for Jungle Boy. He had to turn heel. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, I've been calling this for a while, calling for this for a while, as people know. Um, he was a strange choice, wasn't he, Jack Perry, as the world champion contender? I mean, no one took him seriously as a challenger. It would seem like people really knew who Sonada was. And, um, you know, you think, well, why isn't Sonada in the main event? And then viewing the match and viewing Perry as a challenger, this match was actually booked in exactly the right spot on this card. Um, And, like, Perry kicked out. I mean, it wasn't very good. I mean, it seemed like they were having some communication problems, maybe. It didn't really feel like it had any flow or it really built to anything you know, of any consequence. I thought uh, Sanada's moonsault, moonsault, sta- uh, Muto, Keiji Muto style moonsault finish mm-hmm. just kind of came from out of nowhere. Um, prior to that, Perry had kicked out of a poison runner and a shining wizard. And it just felt like um, people weren't ready for the finish. There was no great drama before Sanada scored the pin. And, um, you know, it didn't feel special at all in any way, the match for World Town match. Uh, but I've got to say, the heel turn afterwards by Perry on Hook, who was um, Perry's second at ringside, that's been long awaited. That's been, we've needed that for months. I mean, Perry's just, his demeanor is just as this sort of spoiled brat. And I'm <laughs> really pleased. That was one of the big moments for me on this show the fact that he finally turned Jungle Boy heel. And that was the right thing to do. I hope they unveil a new character for him. On dynamite or collision, I'm not bothered which, and um, and that he can really find his feet and and sort of plot a new course as a heel. Obviously, it's going to be wrestling hook at first. Because- I did want to ask you though do you do you think do you think they should have him go back with Christian now that they're all on the heel side, or would you keep them apart? Yeah, well, I, I've I've written that and I've said that, and I think that would be a good spot for Perry to admit that he was wrong, you know, and that he Christian knew best and he needed his counsel and needed his, he needed him as a father figure, you know, send Perry out there, you know, in a suit, he needs to do something with our hair. We need a total image. Uh, you know, he needs a repackage, a total rebrand, get rid of that entrance music. I mean, it's pres- to be jungle man, not jungle boy. Yeah. Jungle man. You'll get rid of the jungle boy thing as well. That's like a baby face name. It's just Jack Perry or come up with some other name for him. I don't really care. But there's got to be a change to the packaging and the presentation. And, um, you know, and if he needs a week or two weeks for them to come up with that to perfect it, then do it. Yeah. You know, don't rush this. I think, you know, they've done the right thing at last. You know, don't squander what you've done. You know, take your time and get it right. Uh, obviously, we've got the big, um, there's not really much to say, but we got the big win from uh, the Elite and Ishii and Eddie Kingston over at the Blackpool Combat Club. Um, the Takeshita shot to Ishii, my God! I mean, they they don't they don't go easy on each other. Um, in this one, but uh, the next match I want to ask you about. No, can I can I just say something about this match? I mean, I yep. did sit through the whole thing. Um, so I mean, yeah, I mean, I thought actually first half of it was was really good. They showed a lot of restraint, a lot of discipline there, and um, but then the young books came in and the final, you know, the last sort of five or six minutes. It was totally over the top. I mean, it was sensory overload. And they were doing so many big moves and false finishes that I think they just peaked early. And Ishii finally pinned you to the sheer drop brain buster. Um, and it's just like, you know, it, it, there was so much in this match that unfortunately it had a detrimental effect on Tony Storm and Willem Nightingale in the very next match. Yeah. You know, this is why, you know, your pace shows. So you don't totally overdo it in certain matches because then, I mean, we always remember from the old days, don't we, with the Divas match was always when it didn't, when they, when it was not considered a priority back in 2002 or whatever in WWE or WWF. Yeah. Um, that um, the Divas match would usually be put on just before the main event, wouldn't it? And they yes. had no chance. And it just felt like Tony Storm and Willow Nightingale were really badly let down here. That's because he just did so much in this eight-man. And I think if they'd done less, I think this match would have been more memorable. And, you know, the great tragedy, of course, is that they do, they work so hard in these matches 
But you just end up kind of shell-shocked by the end because you've seen so much. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's that, that famous, I always think about that Lance Storm quote where he says, you know, you're a chapter in a book where you're, when you're on a wrestling show. You need to know the chapter that you're in because the, the show suffers if you don't know what's coming next. You know, if you know that the women are coming next, like, maybe leave something for them. Leave leave them with something. Um, yeah. But listen, the, the, one of the let's move on to one of the big matches. Kenny Omega and Will Osprey for the IWGP US Championship. Uh, this match went almost 40 minutes. Um, and in the end, it was Osprey who got the win. Don Carlos was out there with Osprey. They were bleeding. There was loads of stuff. There was a Tiger Driver, which just looked brutal. Is it Tiger Driver 91? Is that what it's called? The, where, It'd be 97. Oh, 97, where Omega just landed right at his head. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, they really went for it. Um, what did you think of this one? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it was a long match. I mean, this should have gone on last. Uh, we can say that now. 100%. Uh, we had, yeah, we had like double juice. Uh, Dunkless was ejected early for interfering. Then he came back out shortly before the finish. Um, I mean, Osprey used a screwdriver that was given to him by Don Callis. Uh, and then hit the Stormbreaker, but Omega put his foot on the rope, on the bottom rope, to break up the pin. So that was quite surprising. And then Omega kicked out of um, Osprey's one-winged angel at one. And I just thought, wow, you know, Omega's just turned into John Cena. I mean, I'm sort of torn here because the audience love this. The audience love this match. And this match should have gone on last because it was a match they clearly were most looking forward to. Um, and it just made it really, really tricky for the six men in the next match that followed and for Danielson and Okada in the main event. So again, we I, I was having flashbacks to the eight-man here because <laughs> these guys just, again, 40 minutes. I mean, it's like oh, nearly 40 minutes. It's such a long match and they did so much. And the audience were really into it. And, um, you know, if you're into these type of matches, then this was a superb example of this type of wrestling with the big moves and, you know, the execution's really crisp and, you know, it's a brutal match and they're doing everything. They're giving you everything. They're not holding back. They're not shortchanging you at all. But in a sense, they're shortchanging the people who have to follow them. So, you know, it kind of might sound like I'm knocking these guys for delivering so much, and I'm really not. I'm kind of knocking AEW for not putting these two on last. Well, especially given that Omega is also Canadian. So you yeah. know he's going to be, he's the, the hometown boy. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I'm with you. I, I actually thought the match was tremendous. I really enjoyed it. Um, you know how difficult I find 40-minute matches, but I thought they did enough. Uh, well, I mean, they did more than enough, but I thought they... I think where they delivered for me was it did feel like a fight. It felt like a big fight that they were having. So, yeah, I thought they did really well. I understand why it's getting all the plaudits that it is. Um, so, yeah, they're now one apiece. So, I guess there will be a rubber match down the road somewhere, whatever that will be. But, I mean, the six-man tag, you're right, the Sting, Darby, and Naito against Jericho, Sami, and Minoru Suzuki really suffered. And, I mean, it's, the Sting matches are usually presented very well. Yeah. Obviously, there was the, the Sammy Guevara spot, and it just... Now, which one was that? Was that the cutter spot, or was that the table spot? The table Not spot. Like the right. Yeah, the table spot, because I guess thing was meant to move, but then he couldn't get the way in time, and I mean, it just, it was a bit of a mess. Um, yeah. But again, I mean, it's like, when you're in there with Sting, I'm not, I'm not trying to blame Sammy Guevara here, but when you're in there with Sting, you need to be careful. You know, yes. we, saw, we saw this with the Brian Cage... Multiman match. Sting is a 65-year-old guy who is incredibly able to do the stuff that he's able to do. So you need to be respectful to that and not just try and do as much crazy stuff as you can because then you're actually ruining the, the Sting magic for the fans, which yeah. you shouldn't be doing. No. no and it's, and it, show, it shows, a, it shows a, an immaturity in how you are as a wrestler. Because if, if I was a wrestler and I was a heel and I'm in there with Sting... My job, I know, is to make Sting look really good. That's it. That's the gag. The legend shine. Yeah, that's that's the gig. That's what you're there to do. And if you make him look good, you look good. But if you make him look bad, then you look bad because you've exposed 
what everybody else has worked really hard to not expose. Absolutely. And there was also a dodgy spot there where Sting had the scorpion on. um, And then Sammy did this cutter off the top rope and he, he actually landed on Sting. And I think that was the start of the problem. And I think he, I think Sting was disorientated after that. Yeah. Yeah. That was the beginning of the end. Yeah. And and that was probably about the midpoint of the match there. And then later the spot where Jericho pulled the table out, set it up, placed Sting on top of it, and then ordered Sammy to uh, nail him with, I think, is it the 630? The 630, I think, is his move, isn't it? Yes, yes, yes. Which is like, to me, you know, that's a finishing spot. That's not just a spot that you throw out there in the middle of the match. No. And Sammy didn't really want to do it. And that's the story is that, you know, Sammy and Jericho are heading for a breakup, which all makes sense because Guerrero then turned face. But like Sting didn't move. And was that because he would kind of be not loopy or wasn't with it? I don't know. But that was odd for Sting to blow that. And that looked bad. And then the match really kind of fell apart towards the end. Um. Yes, so, a... you know, in the end, uh, Naito pin Suzuki. It was felt like a um, bit of a lackluster finish. Yeah, and, and like, but there was, I mean, Darby Allen really tried. The fans were quiet. The fans were exhausted, fatigued after the near forty-minute match they'd just seen, and um, so they were put in a position which was pretty much an impossible spot. And they tried really hard, um, at least you know when they weren't screwing things up and. Yeah, it was just a disappointment, really. This match should have been on earlier. And I think had it been on second, I think people would have loved it. Yeah, 100%. I agree. And also, you know, Sammy needs, Sammy needs to learn. Like, have more psychology in, in your craziness. Yeah. Because your craziness is 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 is, is not help. It's, it didn't help you. I was really disappointed in that. And, I, I, yeah, I, I didn't enjoy it. Um, main event time, Brian Danielson and Okada... Um, Tony Khan paid for the rights for one night for the final countdown, which was uh, which was uh, great to see. People were very happy to hear that. Obviously, it was a theme back in the day. Yeah, so, yeah, back in Ring of Honor. Are you, back I in Ring of Honor. I would have to wonder how much money changed hands back in the day. <laughs> well, Tony Khan did say that um, the cost to use this song for this night and in perpetuity for future viewings cost almost as much as a wrestler's contract. I mean, I assume he means a lower level contract, but like, I mean, if that's what, if that's how much it costs, then I understand why he's not, why he's not paid for it full time. But you well, know, well, exactly because I mean, I mean, this is like a nod to Brian's pre WWE days. Yes, this was, you know, this was the track he used in Ring of Honor. I mean, obviously, he never used it in WWE ever, um, and like, it was really he did it for the hardcore, and um, it was, you know, this little bit of nostalgia. But if it costs that much money, I mean, I wouldn't have paid the money out for it if it's going to cost you six figures to use the track. So, uh, I, don't know. I mean, I guess because I guess the sad thing is, so they use the track because you would think Danielson O'Kara is going to be, you know, the match of all matches. But unfortunately, yeah. 10 minutes in, Danielson fucks his arm. Um, like, I, I, he didn't break it, but like, it's partially, uh, I can't remember what the injury is. But, I mean, his arms, he's, he's out six to eight weeks because of the arm and that happened about 10 minutes in and then so I was watching the match and again there was the fatigue there but in the end Danielson's trying to put on his he's putting the labelle lock on he's trying to do all this stuff to Okada to try and make him submit and then he basically like puts puts Okada like takes all of Okada's limbs kind of away so he can't do anything and Okada taps and it was a really quiet finish it was and I saw somebody on Twitter, and even I know this from sort of my small amount of view in Okada, that the last few minutes in Okada match are usually really hot. Oh, yes. And this wasn't... I mean, I can't believe that we're saying this match was a bit of a disappointment. I think, I mean, the injury obviously is a big factor, but yeah, it's just, I mean, I was way more excited about this match going in than I was Osprey and Omega, but I think Osprey and Omega was able to deliver so much, and this unfortunately, due to the injury and maybe show placement, just didn't feel like it lived up to the hype. Yeah, I think so. I just don't think it could follow it. I mean, you know, as I've already said, Omega and um, Osprey was the match that this crowd wanted to see and was the match that should have closed the show. Um, 
I mean, there were some bright points here. I mean, um, you could tell these guys are both really good, but it just seemed like they were having difficulty. Well, it didn't seem like. It was clear they were having difficulty sustaining any sort of real heat from the audience or really building any momentum. As you said, Danielson suffered the forearm injury. He's going to be out, I think he said, six to eight weeks. Um, and Okada is one of these people who, at the beginning, you look at him and you think, you know, what's all the fuss about? That's often the reaction people have to Okada. And then the match gets going and it builds and builds and builds and it escalates, you know, and it just likes this building block match where everything's all connected. And like by the end, by that home straight, you're like, wow, this guy's tremendous, isn't he? He's awesome. He's outstanding. He's A1. And it just felt like they didn't reach that point where the match really erupted um, for factors we've you know already mentioned. Well, it's, a, it's a five-hour show by this point as well. So people are... Yeah, I mean, really so long show. I mean, you could crowd just exhausted. I and mean, this is typical of AEW. It's why you need restraint when you're laying a show out. I mean, this is a 14-match show, wasn't it? Including all the matches on the zero hour. I mean, that's a lot of matches mm-hmm. and like a lot of long matches. Um, but the finish, yeah, it was a bit of totally unexpected. People were just stunned that Okada tapped out. Um, I almost feel like they should have called, a, called an, an audible. Kenny and just had Okada go over and used the, you know, worked in the, the forearm injury into the finish. Yeah. And then that could have built to a, a you know, psychologically all would have made sense. And they could have built to a rematch in New Japan and then possibly a rematch at Forbidden Door next year if Danielson's still around. Um, and that would have been a shock but it would have made sense afterwards. So you could have told a really good story based upon the injury. Yeah. Where did he go now? So Danielson's out for six to eight weeks and yet he beat Akada when he was injured. So where'd you go next? Yeah. I mean, it feels like there has to, I mean, to me, I think next year at Wrestle Kingdom, you've got to do Danielson Okada again and just put it, I mean, to, I mean, I would imagine that they don't want this to be the memory of them wrestling. They want a, a, a match that's worthy of kind of whatever they wants and hopes. So I think they will do it again. But yeah, you're right. I mean, I don't. They, they went with the finish they had, but Danielson, I mean, you know, they, they protected him. You know, AEW did a really good job of making sure he didn't get into any wrestling matches that would uh, harm him at any point so that he was ready for this. And then he's in this for 10 minutes and the arm thing happens. It's just very bad luck. Yes. But I guess I guess also when you're in your forties, injuries happen a lot more. It's more likely you're going to get injured. Your body doesn't heal as fast as it used to. So, yeah, we'll we'll see where they go. But over, I actually overall thought last year's Forbidden Door was a better show than this one. Um, um you I, know, I'll disagree with you on. I mean, I mean, you probably are right. Because... I think I think because last year there was such low expectations. Maybe yeah. With what the card was, but I think there was such high expectations for this one, and I yeah. think the problem was that a lot of the match. I, it was a very good show, so I'm not ragging on the show. But I think last year there was a lot more kind of hidden gems for me that I, you know, the the Jericho match last year, the multi man match I thought was much better. Um, yeah, I just enjoyed enjoyed that one more. I don't know why. Yeah, for some reason, I don't know why, but whenever I think of last year's Forbidden Door, I just think of the Adam Cole injury. And I don't know why. It's not like Adam Cole's my favourite wrestler or anything. I just put such a downer on the show. And it was obviously so serious and obviously accidental. These things happen. But that's, for some reason, my lasting memory of Forbidden Door uh, 2022. I mean, I think this show, there's so much on it, so much action. I think had there been fewer matches that were slightly shorter and the show had been rearranged, I think it could have been one of the great shows ever. So, but well, hopefully, hopefully next year they can learn. You know, give us give us ten well, matches. We, Do we've been saying this for a long time. You know, and they still just like it's what they just still stack up these events. They do it every time. So, yeah. I mean, the, the the weird thing was for 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 non Forbidden Door shows, they have got much better with the pre show just having a match, one match, and that's it. But it's like with this one, he wanted to get everybody on the show, and it's like everybody doesn't need to be in the show. Just put the people in the show who, yeah. who, who you know, we don't need a Stu Grayson match on the show. No offense to Stu Grayson, but anyway, listen, that is the Forbidden Door review. We'll be back on Thursday to talk Raw, build to Money in the Bank, big weekend ahead, Finn, with Money in the Bank in London. Yeah, oh yeah. Smackdown, so. Uh, yeah, but as always, InsideTheRoachMagazine.com is where you can pick up our new issue with Seth Rollins on the cover. 
Um, and Patreon is where you can get more of us. Um, we just recorded a Bad Blood 2003 review that will be up soon where we tear our hair out and watch that show. Um, and much, much more. So, uh, Finn, I hope you enjoy your next couple of days. And I look forward to speaking to you on Thursday when I'm in London. Indeed. Indeed. Have a good trip down, Kenny. Thank you very enjoy much. Show, not shows. Probably shows. Got lined up when you're there i imagine it's probably not just smackdown and money in the bank yeah yeah, yeah. we've got a press morning on friday as well we'll be talking to la knight i think so that should be interesting to speak to him and uh yeah we'll be doing plenty of stuff so yeah uh, thank you so much everybody for all your support and we'll talk to you soon Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.